0: Welcome to Warrior, the Art of War for Life, a podcast for those who want to win, leadership lessons, motivational mindsets, empowering principles, success strategies, and transformational tactics from Swinza, the master of victory. I'm your guide on the side, David Boyd, award-winning educator, transformational speaker, and certified life coach. It's time to start winning at life hey 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 welcome everybody thanks for joining us i'm glad you guys are here this is our second installment of the uh warrior mindset unplugged and uh today i'm really really privileged to have uh, a friend and a mentor uh, Brigadier General Paul Pirag uh, with us today to talk about some of the lessons that he's learned and uh, share some some great stories and um, you know it's just uh, I feel really really privileged I've I've always looked up to you as a mentor and I've, I've really I'm really grateful for the the strong kind of calm leadership that you've always demonstrated and we've known each other for 15 years yes and um, you know, I've, I've always respected that, you know, about you, the, the, the quiet strength. It's not the in-your-face, you know, my way or the highway sort of thing. Um, but uh, I've always I've always admired that about you. I've always respected that about you. One of the reasons why I wanted to bring that on. And you know, there's, you know, I think sometimes we get stuck in this, oh, warrior mindset. It's gotta be the alpha male, and we gotta cook outdoors, and we gotta break stuff and blow stuff up, you know? And um, you really modeled uh, a more well-rounded form of leadership. So, uh, with that, I'll give you a few minutes to introduce yourself to everybody, and uh, and, and we'll go from there.
1: Well, thank you, Dave. I'm um, honored to be here, and uh, all those things he said about me earlier are lies. <laughs> Nothing but lies. Uh, but we have known each other for 15 years. We will and, not uh,
0: lie, steal, or cheat. <laughs> yeah,
1: that is true. He hasn't done that. Um, but one of the things I like to start as a former uh, judge advocate, uh, a lawyer in the Air Force is that all the opinions expressed are, mine own, are my own solely and that it shouldn't be attributed to the Department of Defense, the Air Force, or the Air Force Academy. So with that uh, clear, happy to, uh, to talk about anything you'd like to. Uh, I spent 37 years in the Air Force. Um, that's after four years here at the Air Force Academy, graduated in 1977. And um, then was a uh, B-52 navigator for the next four, a little bit more than four years uh, after graduation, biological science major. And then uh, switched career fields and went to law school, University of Michigan. And- got to go uh, back home. Got to go back home <laughs> from uh, Michigan originally. And um, became a JAG uh, after law school. And then did about 32 years there with my last assignment being here at the Air Force Academy from, for about 12 years in 2002. To, 2014, and I've been retired for almost uh, 10 years now. Wow, it's been and, 10 years. Yes, it has. Oh goodness. And by the way, something very interesting, I came to the academy at age 18. As a cadet, you're under the uniform code of military justice, the criminal law. As an officer, you obviously are, but as a retiree, you are still under the UCMJ. Hmm. So I've been under a criminal code, the military's criminal code for 75% of my life wow yeah, and that uh, it kind of helps formulate your respect for the law especially the criminal code
0: it's interesting and that's not something we see a lot nowadays there's a lot of disrespect for the law in, in our country and and uh you know and, and sometimes you know i being working with china you know we see these posts and half of them are from you know the the chinese trolls who you know are all over the internet and uh saying how great socialism is and how great China is and their system of law is a disaster. As a matter of fact, we were talking about this in my class today, I had a cadet asked me, what is the legal system like? And in China, you are guilty until proven innocent. Mm. And you know nobody wants to get the courts involved. I've seen cash transactions, hey, how much can I give you to keep this out of court? And that's the general sentiment, is don't get <laughs> involved with the courts. And it's just a, it's a big pain, but uh, yeah, so.
1: Well, I think respect for the law, I mean, for me, obviously the UCMJ, but also how your parents bring you up. Uh, I have uh, had four uh, brothers and one sister, so six of us. My dad was sort of a disciplinarian, and so you obeyed the law; otherwise, there were consequences. <laughs> uh, on the other hand, we got to run free and got, had lots of, you, know, you could call it, discretion. But it was, I mean, go out and play in the woods and come home, you know, when it was supper time. I mean that. You can get in a lot of trouble that way, but if you got in trouble, uh, not only would the townspeople get you, your dad would not be a happy camper either. So hmm. all of that, I think, helped uh, at least our family. Uh, we're all productive citizens and and doing well, and nobody's been in federal prison for more than two or three years. No, nobody has. <laughs> nobody has gone to prison or anything like that.
0: Interesting. So you decide to come to the academy, and you're coming in, just after Vietnam and kind of still very much in the height of the Cold War era, what was that like for you? What was your motivation for coming to the academy, wanting to join the Air Force? What was going through your mind then?
1: Well, I I do have my draft cards. So they were drafting um, all the way till, I believe, like the 27th of January, if you were 18 or above. My, My birthday was the 3rd of February, so I turned 18 right after that, but I still had to register. The last person drafted for Vietnam, I just looked this up, was the 30th of June, 1973. My report date at the Air Force Academy was 1 July, 73. So it was now one of the reasons. Quite frankly, uh, I started thinking about college, and I thought, how am I going to pay for this? Um, you know, our family was big and not all that well off. Now I had a brother, uh, two years ahead of me, who went to West Point. He was. Uh, hmm. Out of the blue, uh, my dad was in the Navy in World War II, uh, and uh, my brother thought he had applied to West Point. Uh, he got accepted there, and he got a congressman to appoint him there. Mm. And so with that in mind, I thought, well, let me try the Air Force Academy. And I did, actually, I got an acceptance of both West Point and Air Force Academy, uh, in part, I think, because my brother was doing well at West Point, and the same congresswoman uh, nominated me, and I decided, eh, I'll go somewhere else. Don't want to follow follow him around. So ended up at the Air Force Academy, and it was in Colorado. Who'd ever heard of Colorado? Uh, you know, from Michigan, you know, right. it just wasn't on the tip of our tongues. And so uh, I ended up out here. Hmm. It wasn't necessarily, oh, I want to be part of the United States Air Force, though. You know, being in the military would. You know, it wasn't I was opposed to it or anything, but uh, the education I heard was super uh, wasn't going to cost me or the family money and it was going to be a challenge and I enjoyed challenges okay?
0: And you avoided some sibling rivalry, or maybe created some sibling rivalry? Oh oh, yes.
1: I got a sympathy card from all his friends, and I still have it to this day to say, Dear Paul, we even enjoyed running you to death, or you know, you stupid idiot Air Force guy, you should have joined the Army, you know, that kind of stuff.
0: All Uh, in good fun.
1: Yes, it was, it was. But I'm glad I went to the Air Force.
0: So four years here at the Academy. Mm What would you say was the most important lesson you learned during that time?
1: I'd say probably teamwork. Um, I end up as a distinguished graduate, but yet I never left the squadron. I was never on group staff or wing staff, any of the, from a military standpoint, areas that would really make you high up in that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, your graduating order of merit was based on your athletic ability, your military order of merit, and your academics, mostly your academics. And so, you know, I worked hard in academics, uh, but I stayed with the squadron and got to know the people and uh, what it took t- to get everybody's talent involved in in going forward. When I initially, uh, Got to the Academy, my first year was tough. I mean, survival was the goal. The last three years, uh, my first year as a sophomore, you were an upperclassman and so you were thought, now I can be treated like a young Air Force officer. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the class that ran the squadron I went into didn't think that. And they told us that we were uh, smacks with talking privileges as a sophomore, a smack was a (laughs) derogatory term for a freshman. Um, And we said, what? And that's how they treated us that entire sophomore year. Hmm. So that made our squadron, the the, the group of, and it was all uh, uh, men in school at that time, group of guys become very close together. So at my 45th reunion, which was just in October last year, we had 17 out of about 23 people come back for the reunion, Hmm. which, is yeah is a whole it was more than any other squadron uh of our class anyway but our last two years had one of the best air officer commanding uh, officer leader that i have ever seen he was an army guy and mm. he uh, we still keep in touch with him to this day just a, a wonderful man who knew about leadership mm. and um and so he taught us those sorts of things about uh being last in line when it was, uh, when it was time to, to eat, for instance, if you're the, the senior person, and uh, getting everybody to participate and, and uh, trying to motivate people, or if they had problems, which people do, having them realize what their problem is so they could fix it. Mm. I think all those lessons were important, and, and I don't think I really understood them all when I was at the Air Force Academy, but looking back, especially you know 37 years later, you go wow
0: Hmm. okay interesting yeah you know you mentioned the importance of teamwork and and really getting to know people and and that's something that I I try and instill in my cadets right now too a lot of the times like I say hey you need to have you need to surround yourself with people who you can be real with and not just hey how's it going oh I'm great how are you yeah great see you later like because when things get hard Mm Those are not the people that, you know, are gonna have your back. And, and, and I always start with, uh, be that for somebody else, right? You decide how you wanna show up in those relationships and making that effort to, to really be active in, in the squad. But, you know, um, I think by the time this episode airs, we will have covered this famous quote in The Art of War, which is, know yourself and know others. And, yeah. and, and, and the, the ability to do that is a secret uh, that he you know, talks about for leadership, for victory, that if you know yourself and you know your teammates, you know the enemy even, uh, if you have that understanding, um, but especially the people in your unit, um, that even defeat won't break you. And, um, and I've always kind of resonated with that because sooner or later we're all gonna lose something. Mm-hmm. We're gonna make some mistakes, but they
1: don't have to be devastating. Right? I've made my share of mistakes. Yeah, uh, as we all. I- <laughs> and, and from b-52s to i mean from a work standpoint uh leading people as a as a senior jag at a base to uh, putting the wrong glaze on a piece of pottery you know there there's there's learning in all those areas by the way and for, for your audience i do throw pottery now which is something i picked up after i after I retired so
0: yeah yeah and, and he's actually really good I have several pieces in my office and you know they sit there right next to my Ming Dynasty <laughs> pottery so they have a, a distinguished place of honor and I would actually drink out of those before I drink out of anything from the Ming Dynasty good, good. good move <laughs> yeah so we'll, we'll talk more about the pottery um, let's talk about flying okay so you commission Right, you, you come out of the academy and, and you get navigator and, I, and you knew that, right, going in, so you are going to be navigator. Well,
1: I, I knew that in the last, like two months before I was going to go to nav school.
0: Uh-huh. And so tell me about that. Um, what was that like?
1: Well, we I went, uh, back, nowadays uh, the, the class gets, I think, 90 days or is it 60 days? Yeah, 90 60 days, 60 days, 60 days after uh, of, vacation of leave after you graduate and then you go to your first assignment. Or sometimes you have to, if you're going to pilot training, sometimes you have to wait, but they give you another assignment. For us, it was only 30 days. Hmm. And so uh, there are some people who volunteered to even cut some of that so they could get to Navigator School to be first up. Well, I ended up going at about uh, day 45. um, And so I was in the second class of Academy grads who were going through Nav School. And I, uh, it was a great experience. It was in Sacramento, California. No. Hadn't been in California. What a beautiful area it was. Um, and I got married over Christmas vacation uh, to a, a lady who i would known since seventh grade uh, in a different city. Um, and uh, we just enjoyed California. Navigator school was great. Uh, uh, I did very well in it and graduated number one in my class. So when the time came for aircraft Everyone put a list, I would like this plane or this aircraft, this one. And unfortunately, that year, or fortunately, in the the long run, they decided to maximize everyone's um, uh, choices. And so, if you put number one, I want an FB 111, and no FB 111s came down, okay, but an F 111 came down, you had that too, even though you graduated number one, they gave it to somebody who graduated, who asked for it as number one, so they would maximize their choice. Well, unfortunately, every plane I asked for, someone else had asked for it higher. So I got, I graduated number one and got my last choice of aircraft, <laughs> a B-52, and it was a D model, which was the slowest, the oldest. The, uh, as it turned out, it was fantastic, but I was a little disappointed uh, leaving uh, the Air Force, uh, leaving uh, Navigator School in California. And so uh, I was assigned to uh, Carswell Air Force Base, which is in Fort Worth, Texas. Never had been to Texas. Tell you, go join the Air Force. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, and, and was there as a uh, navigator, eventually instructor navigator, uh, member of the standard, standardization evaluation crew for about close to five years, and uh, sat on nuclear alert during the Cold War timeframe. So we would, every, for a week, a month, sometimes a week and a half or, or more per month, you would go on alert and be away from your family and be ready 24 7 to be within five minutes of your airplane, jump on the airplane and go off and, and do your appropriate uh, uh, wartime uh, uh, thing that you had to do if the balloon went up. Right. And it, so it was interesting during those time frames because some of the folks who we flew with during that time frame had been, were Vietnam vets. Mm. And they had bombed and flown over Vietnam during war. And and I remember my radar navigator at the bombardier on the aircraft said one time, oh yeah, I can remember a mission. We were getting ready to drop our bombs. And we heard United Flight 325 reporting in at (laughs) 39,000. so there were civilian oh, no. airplanes <laughs> flying in the general area while they were dropping bombs on Hanoi or North Vietnam. Or wow. Whatever. And I just thought that is I'm not sure I could do that. But our, but regarding our mission, we knew that if we got sent off to go do bad things, we knew there was going to be nothing left behind because that's the only reason we were going to go. And so when you when you have that attitude, you know, well, of course I'm gonna you know, because my family's gone. Break break to the modern time when I'm here at the Air Force Academy, and people graduating are going right to Iraq, going right to Afghanistan in the wars. And I thought back to my bombardier talking about civilian flights going on in life as well, and we're bombing and almost getting killed or maybe getting killed in the middle, uh, you know, with everything going on around and that's what it was like again. And I'm not, I'm sure I could do it, but I I, uh, applaud all those graduates that you and I sent out there who have done it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's not an easy thing, right? I mean, this is why the art of war opens with the caveat that war is a big deal, right? This is a major affair of state and it should not be taken lightly. And there's a cost associated with it. And there are definitely times to fight and there are times, you know, from from Swinza's perspective, he has a lot of uh, he has a lot of of questions to get the ruler thinking about: Is this a hill worth dying on? Is this? Do I really want to invest the blood, sweat, and tears of my people over this?
1: Sure, he didn't go to law school because <laughs> that, that's the type of questions lawyers get to ask. But yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry.
0: No, but, I mean, and, and that that's that's a really interesting you know thought about that um, as as certainly you make that transition from nav school to law school to become a jag and uh and so what was that like for you the process there why 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 switch
1: in part uh some of it uh, i'll admit was the navigator career field was starting to aircraft were getting uh more modernized didn't need navigators anymore mm-hmm. so you were kind of excess baggage and you had to go off and do something but sometimes those somethings weren't Exactly the best jobs in the world. So the kind of the pecking order was pilots on top and then became all these un- not rated not pilot navigator or anything like that, but people are doing finance or, or Legal or, or contracting whatever we're getting the next Nice pats on the back and finally navigators were considered almost like third-class property And so it was like do I really want to do that? and when I was here at the Academy I was always a good arguer, and I uh, could ask my mom <laughs> and dad about that. And, um, and so I took the law school aptitude test and did really well. Um, well, when it came time, I thought, well, there's this program in the Air Force called Funded Legal Education Program where they sent about uh, 19 to 20 Air Force officers from various career fields to law school. And as long as your uh, career field would release you, uh, they would send you off, and then you would uh, go to law school, become a JAG, and they'd pay for it. And so it was a funded program. So I said, it sounds a pretty good deal. So I uh, applied for it. I got selected by the, the people who select that. But my, and I got accepted by the University of Michigan, a great law school. But my navigator career field wouldn't let me go. And I thought, Oh, well, you've got to be kidding. So, so they said, Well, next year we'll look at you again. I said, Okay. And I went back to Michigan and said, Michigan, can, can you uh, defer my uh, admission to next year? They said, your LSATs are pretty old, Paul. You need to retake it. And I thought, oh, I've been out of school for five years now. Uh, I end up doing okay. I, mean, I did, did almost as well as I did the time before, so I was happy with that. Got accepted to Michigan, Navigators let me go, and I got to go to law school. And by the way, my folks lived, not, we were only a half hour away from my folks. By that time we had two children, one was born uh, in Ann Arbor, and so it was great for, for that family sort of thing. So, sure. uh, but it was uh, hard work, switching your mind from reading to understand how to do something Drop a bomb, you know, work the uh, bomb nav system, versus reading for ideas and thoughts and mm-hmm. and reading with attention to detail and holy cow, it was uh, it was mind opening. I thought I'd get ahead of the class the first day. Oh, I'm going to go in and see if there was any readings for the first day of class. So I went in the day before. I had a hundred and some odd pages I was supposed to read for day one. <laughs> oh my goodness! I'm glad I went in, but it was like. This is their expectation and it was hmm so so let's talk about mindset
0: then going into this mindset is really important to to me to the podcast and and um, and and really is woven in and out of the art of war um, so you go to the Academy you have a certain mindset you go and you're a navigator you've got a mindset there are where there are certain commonalities or things that transferable skills that you were able to take, you know, what was your mindset approaching each one of these challenges law school being a big one?
1: I must admit I probably I mean I had a mindset with principals, but not um, Here's what I'm going to do as a cadet. I I was not real goal-oriented It was kind of like I'm gonna survive each day and yeah, I would bend my way toward Something I was short-term goals, but I'm not really sure I had real solid long-term goals at that that's stage. Me, at that stage, as I uh, got long served longer in the military, I understood that the two most important things were get the mission done, mission accomplishment. Okay, that that was number one. Because, and then the second one was good order and discipline. I learned that more as a JAG, as a as a Judge Advocate. You can't, you know, there was a commandant here a number of years ago who said the mission, my mission here as a commandant is, people first, mission always. And I thought, that's wrong. Because if people were first, you would never send them up the hill against the bad guys. You would never say, take out that cave. There could be some, you know, you would never say you could get shot down on this mission if people were first. It's gotta be the mission first. Now, how do you get the mission done? Well, you have to have well-trained people I, that will be subject to discipline, that will, that will are disciplined to do what you ask them to do, what you tell them to do. Well, you can't get that if you're the world's worst leader and you treat people like dog crap. You, you do it by knowing them, knowing their talents, you know, motivating them, all those sorts of things. So, it's certainly wrapped up into it. But good order and discipline is number two, mission's number one, and i it's kind of a bugaboo of mine. I challenge any military leader to say something different because that's not right, and they, they shouldn't be serving uh, in their capacity if the mission is not first. Now that doesn't mean you do things illegal, immoral, unethical to get the mission done, certainly. Yeah. Sure. Uh, but you, you, your job is to get the mission done assuming that all those things are taken care of. And in the military, I couldn't control what the mission was. I moved from job to job to job, and each one changed. But the principles that I used, mission first, good order and discipline, how do I get good order and discipline? I got to be working with those people all the time. The, mm-hmm. the team playing also comes into right. to that as well.
0: Yeah. You know, so you talk about discipline, and, and discipline is one of Swinza's five key attributes for generals. When he says, um, there's five strategic success factors that you have to have to win. And one of them is you have to have generals with good leadership attributes, and one of those attributes is discipline. And you know, one of the ways that he looks at discipline is the ability to continue on in the face of detractors and naysayers and people who say, "No, that's not the right way to do it," or "You're never going to get there." And um, and so, I I appreciate you bringing that up, that idea of good order and discipline, um, because the. You know, when we don't have that good order and discipline, things fall apart. It is impossible to carry out the mission. At a certain point, it, it impacts, and he and he even says leaders, you know, generals, and in the, in a more general sense of leadership mm-hmm. in general, right? That uh, we have to have those leadership attributes, um, and uh, and mission first, right? I mean, it, it does. You know, he he talks about it in terms of this this big deal. You know, we need to have that mission. We need to have clarity on what our mission is. Mm-hmm. We start with the end in mind, we have our outcome, and then we work backwards so how, just right. like you did. right? Well, How do we get there? Well, we have to have good order and discipline, and how do we get good order and discipline? we got to know our folks, yeah. we got to use them appropriately.
1: And as a young officer, I, I, because I wasn't in charge of, as a B-52 navigator, I wasn't in charge of anybody. It was hard to even think about those sort of things. Mm-hmm. You knew as a team player, as a crew member, you had to know your stuff, you had to help others, and you had to have good attitude. But that's different than, than the mission accomplished. Well, I guess, you know, uh, knowing your job, because eventually you get the mission done. But when you're not in charge of things, you, you, you don't, I don't think you see as, as far, you don't reflect uh, mm-hmm. on what you're trying to do as well. And so back to your original question, that's something I think cadets ought to do perhaps more is to sit back and reflect a little bit and think, a little bit bigger picture and not just what they're going to go out and be a F-22 pilot and mm-hmm. you know, it's larger than that. But it's probably not going to happen until they're more senior anyways. So.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean there's, there's value in doing that right at any stage of yeah. life. Really thinking about what do I actually want? What do I want? And this is something I talk about a lot in the podcast is what do I want in my life? What do I want out of my life? And what do I want for my life? And thinking about those, you know, those and it questions. changes. It does. It changes. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's okay that it changes.
1: Yeah. Right? And, and depending if you're in a partnership with somebody, like a spouse, my sense was at the beginning of our marriage, uh, when we first started to have children, it was like, I'm going to be working hard, doing this thing for the Air Force or go in law school or whatever. That's my mission. Get that done. Your mission, should you decide to accept, no, your mission <laughs> is to raise our children. I mean, I certainly was involved in that, but not near anywhere as close right. as what my wife did, and to raise them to be good and productive members of society. Now, here we are with three grandchildren many years later, and I actually got to change diapers and take care of them and all that kind of good stuff and see what kind of mission my wife was was uh, doing way back when. And it, it changes, so now my mission is, quite frankly, uh, uh, family, friends, and faith, and that's a lot different than <laughs> mission accomplishment, good order, discipline. Right. Yeah.
0: Interesting. So, you know, you talk about the importance of family, and, and 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 some of these, you know, yeah, family, faith. Obviously, I know you're a man of faith, and how important that is to you. Um, how did that kind of play out for you as a JAG? You saw a lot of a lot of stuff the good, the bad, the ugly. And you also were in a position to advise and give counsel to senior leadership on how to handle those situations, how to prevent some of those things. You worked with a lot of different people. What would you say was your biggest takeaway in terms of what you learned about leadership uh, during all those years as a JAG?
1: There are all sorts of ways to practice leadership. There were some people who did it by just dint of their personality they were charismatic, mm. uh, they'd be 50 years old, running with special operations, 20 year olds, and they come in second, you know, I mean, so they were <laughs> driven to, uh, to excellence. Yeah. There are other people that did it through uh, more standoffish hands, having good people, uh, appointing the right people, and then letting them run with the ball, mm. and then giving them you know, fences to, to you know, stay within. Um, and so I must admit, during my time frame of advising commanders, and there were a number of them, I'd, I'd say they were all good, honorable people. Quite frankly, who listened to me, uh, and and that for a Jag that's very important, because you and the commander are, are one in many respects. Now, sometimes they make different decisions, which is totally their there. And normally you give a range of options. You'd recommend one. And sometimes if they go, Hey, I'm going to do two, you you know, you're going to kill me on that one. Am I going to go to jail or whatever? It's like, no, sir. You know, just here's some of the things you might face for it. And he said, well, I'm going to do that. That's fine. Um, And so uh, now I did always for commanders who didn't, take my advice. I said, I may come back and say, I told you so. And I did do that a couple of times. Uh, they were good, good people who understood that. So, mm-hmm. um, but it, it, it was fun doing that only because half the time you're flying by the seat of your pants because you know, you, you know the law or your people have gotten you the law so you can translate it to a commander. Um, but ultimately it's that relationship. You got to build a good one. And it's you knowing the mission which is you know, not the JAG mission, the mission of that commander. Hmm. You know, if he's a missile wing commander, well, he's gotta have all his missiles ready. Well, how do you get your missiles ready? Well, you gotta have all these security forces guys guarding it. Well, what do they do when they're out there in the missile fields by themselves? Well, they shoot at animals, they, you know, they, they drink, uh, you know, whiskey, they do. And so, you know, discipline in that case, or giving the person, uh, having the JAG with the commander uh, do some harsh military discipline. Maybe you wouldn't do that if you're in a garrison somewhere else. But out here, the job was so important, and so many other people were looking at you. You got to make an example. And so mm. that sort of give and take, and um, and trying to do the best you can, I think is yeah can be fun.
0: Yeah, you know, I I appreciate that because I think there's a negative stigma towards the law and you know we talked about a little bit and towards attorneys in general and 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 you know we see in TV shows they they take this to the extreme and it's heated courtroom debates and all this stuff but you're still talking about having relationships and and the art of listening I hear you Mm -hmm. mention that which is you know one of the things that I talked about uh, in episode 4 which is how you get to game-changing tactics how you uh, shift the balance of power in your favor how you tip the scales and the, the step number one is to listen, is to listen to your people, to listen to your, you know yourself, your own inner voice of wisdom, and to you know those around you, what they're saying, and you, then you look for the strategic, you know, application. Um, and and you know, the fifth of Swinza's five uh, strategic success factors is law, uh, and and it's everything from you know. Yeah, maintaining good, good rule and order and discipline to systematizing success, you do that through you know, good governance <laughs> and, and having uh, those sort of systems in place to regulate. Uh, and it's absolutely essential for Swinza for in terms of getting the mission done. You cannot achieve the mission without good rule and order, without the law. So I appreciate that and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring up because it's a different perspective and it's <laughs> not a perspective that I know much about. Uh, personally, so I, I've learned a lot uh, in, in uh, picking
1: your brain a little bit on this. One of the things that kind of gave me a little bit of a leg up was being a navigator first, so I had a set of wings, which you know gave me some kind of uh, cred. Yeah. So when street um, cred, street cred. <laughs> so when you're talking to commanders, they got you know wings and all sorts of other things. They look at yours and go, uh, and I've looked at the mission to try and find out you know what all is going, what the issues are, what the problems are. It's not a jag. Just going, hey, some guy from law school is telling me what to do, and I've been in for thirty years, and you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So I mean, that is important as well. And you gotta, you gotta work hard. You have to do a lot of hard work to establish that street cred, Uh, and then that begins. That helps build the relationship. And once you're there, then it's a a partnership, Mm -hmm. which, team again, team play.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Clear. So. You're in all these really important positions. You're advising a lot of high level officials. Um, You have the opportunity to come to the academy and and then teach and mentor kind of the next generation of cadets. What was that shift like for you? Because I know, like, for me personally, one of my motivations for doing the podcast has been to share, um, you know, things that I wish I would have known when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And especially when I see these cadets, I'm like, I wish I would have known this when I was your age. I wish somebody would have told me this and to try and give them a leg up, to get them a little further. What was that transition like for you from you know, advising to mentoring?
1: Well, I, I didn't just merely advise as a, as a, as right. a JAG. Uh, one of my uh, assignments was as a senior medical law consultant, so I was assigned to a 1,350 bed hospital in the Air Force for three years, and the job was to be the legal advisor to the commander and all the docs and nurses and technicians who worked there. And um, it was, uh, so although you were still in the advising role, uh, you certainly uh, did and saw lots of other things. And Break, break. I just forgot your question.
0: (laughs) That's okay. Um, And when you're done with this thought, you know, talking about this shift from actually practicing and advising law to then mentoring future leaders.
1: And I guess the bottom line is I'm not sure that I wasn't told that as a uh, as a, uh, a young cadet and as an officer, and it just blew right past me. Uh, as the uh, medical law consultant person that I that I spoke about, you were uh, we were responsible for an eight uh, Air Force Base region of hospitals as well. So uh, senior doc and I would go out to visit each of those bases, and we would teach the docs about not only it might be. OBGYN practices or whatever, but how, defense of OBGYN suits or you know some kind of and so I got to, as a as a JAG I got to teach an awful lot of uh, to uh, non lawyers and then uh, one of my other jobs was as as the deputy commandant at the Air Force JAG school. And there, uh, the Commandant left for about four months, so I was kind of in charge. And there, you actually were involved very heavily in training the next Jags, uh, you know, who had been to law school already, and all, the, all sorts of things uh, regarding the law with them. And so coming to the Academy, well, I, I wanted to come back to the Air Force Academy, and it was a, a lucky assignment that I got, but uh, I didn't think it was gonna be that much different other than having to know the law better than you know, we teach, you know, a uh, whole panoply, not just military law, but other law. And so I wanted to be smart in all those areas that the law department taught. And so that took a lot of a uh, work. So I'd be smart enough to be able to say, no, that shouldn't be in our uh, chapter on uh, contracting. It ought to be, you know, focus a little bit more on this, that sort of type thing. But I enjoyed teaching. I'm not sure I was the best teacher in the world. Uh, but I've had cadets, I've seen later, and as you and I discussed earlier, surprise you with, I remember when you did X or you told Y or what. You, I have no idea what you're talking about, but they remember something that you did and that changed their life or changed you know what happened. And it just befuddles you to, and, it, and it makes you feel good that you were a teacher even when you didn't know you were teaching.
0: Mm. Yeah yeah and that's I mean that's really important you know I think a lot of the best lessons are maybe those ones that we didn't necessarily plan out or intend but it was a reflection of who we are of of the commitment to excellence to those values Um, and so talking about this idea of influence and you you, um, you shared this story with me and I think it's an amazing story because one of the things that I talk about is as we start off in kind of pursuit of of what we really want in our lives, we don't know what's coming up ahead. We have no idea the experiences, the people we're going to meet, the opportunities we're going to have to serve, to have an impact. And, I, and that's something that I share with cadets all the time is I had no idea when I was your age what was coming. But looking back now, and I'm so fortunate to have had a lot of the opportunities I've had. And so, You shared a a story from from the JAG office that that was really impactful in this regard. Would you mind
1: sharing it again? A little more hint to which which story? So, the the collateral damage or Black Hawk Down? Black Hawk Down. So we're talking about Black Hawk Down. Okay, okay. Okay. (laughs) uh, At one of our conferences when I was uh, uh, a senior JAG, I was at uh, Special Operations uh, at the time. Uh, Major General Garrison, who was the head of uh, the Task Force Ranger in Somalia during the time of Black Hawk Down, 1993, when there was a civil war in Somalia and we were trying to uh, to help there, he said, "Now you Jags out there, don't forget that your importance to the mission is not due necessarily to your proximity to the target." And we kind of didn't understand that. And he says, "Okay, what mm-hmm. do you think about when I say that?" He says, "Number one is your importance to the mission uh, is not told by your proximity to target. It's not." How far away, distance-wise? Certainly, the people who put the bombs on the target—they're pretty important. But who loaded those yeah. bombs? You know, it's the it's the munitions people who made that plane worthy. The maintenance people who you know did that? Who trained the pilots? Well, the instructor pilot. And you go back and back and back. And then the second part is time. The story General Garrison told us to us Jags was much earlier before that 1993 time frame. One of, his, uh, one of the NCOs who was involved in that battle later on uh, got caught up in a uh, travel, vo- travel fraud voucher case. And they were, people were submitting travel vouchers uh, fraudulently. Well, he was part of it. He wasn't a ringleader or anything like that. Moment, he, he said, oh gosh, they were my friends. I shouldn't have done it. He confessed up. And so the prosecutor at that time threw a bunch of the guys, discharged him, threw him in jail. But for this person, they said, hey, he came clean, he was trying to do his best. We're gonna take all the stripes from him, but we're not gonna kick him out of the Air Force. So he stayed and ended up going through special operations and stuff like that. Well He was in the Battle of Mogadishu 10 years later, was one of the last people out there, his folks had fled or, or had died, and he saved 25 people by staying at his post and killing the bad guys. And then unfortunately, he died during the, the battle. So 25 people and more. Owe their lives to this, but they also owe it to the JAG who did the right thing 15 years or 10 years earlier. Hmm. So your importance to the mission is not deemed, is not uh, according to the proximity to the target, both distance and right. time. And so that I think yeah. says something about what we were in the business when we were uh, as teachers, as, as professors.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because it's not just this mission, it's every mission that comes after right? It's the people that they become. It's where they end up being. Um, And and it doesn't matter whether that mission is in combat or in mentoring or, you know, solving the world's problems. Um, That's, it's an amazing story.
1: Or helping an old lady across the street. Yeah. You know, it's amazing. Uh, You know, that's, That's something I think that I learned at the academy, but especially later on as a JAG, and especially as a colonel, because people tended in the military to look at colonels a little differently. And it's like, okay, I have to make sure that I'm always, and not because I don't want to, I'm always polite to people. I try and and say thank you and pat the people who are doing the littlest things on the back. You know, the person who's collecting your garbage, how's your day going, all of that because it's important for them to understand where they are in this mission of putting the bombs on the target.
0: Mm, the role that they play. Yeah. Interesting. So in 2008, you gave a graduation speech um, and uh, you had some really- To nav school. To nav school. At <laughs> yeah, the Air Force Academy. nav school. <laughs> um, and some really interesting lessons and nuggets there. You want to recap some of those highlights? You can talk about changing, seeing things differently. You talk about how far you could see on a clear night, which was very eye-opening to
1: me. I had no idea how far you could actually see. If if you think about it, Danny, okay. Seeing things differently, and one of the things in my life, being a B-52 NAV, I was a biological science major. It's a STEM uh, science, technology, engineering, um, mathematics uh, major. And then I started doing pottery and I dabbled in some watercolor painting. And so you'd need to see things differently. Also look at a telescope from time to time, I have my own. And question was, well, how far can you see on a clear night? Most people might say, well, if I'm up high, you know, seven miles, maybe eight miles. No, on a really clear night, and here in Colorado Springs the other night, you can see the Andromeda galaxy. The Andromeda galaxy is 2.5 million light years away. A light year is the time it takes light to go from here to here in one year. That's the distance. There are five, I think it was 5.28 trillion miles in one light year. And Andromeda Galaxy is 2.5 million away. So that's 2.5 million times uh, 5 point whatever trillion. It's far away, but yet. And, and I, so, if you don't think about it, I can only see, no. You really can see. Heck, you can see the sun. That's 94 million miles away. So, you really can see a lot further than you think. And that's by looking at other people's perspectives. I. I that's something I think I picked up along the way, and maybe as a, uh, a member of you know with four boys and an older sister, uh, to try and think about what it was that they were thinking about when they did, uh, whatever it was. And so if you're thinking about other perspectives, it helps you to maybe not pull that trigger when you were going to, or to uh, um, uh, solve an idea uh, in a different way. And that's kind of what diversity is all about, the diversity of thought. Mm-hmm. You're trying to, trying to get, pull people together that have different thoughts. And, but if you can help do that yourself, I'm not saying you don't need those other people, but it helps. So that, that's, I think, one thing that I, uh, presented to the navigators out there in the in the, uh, in the auditorium um,
0: that shift in a different perspective a, yes. a broader perspective being able to see things differently and, you know I, it's so easy for us to get so myopic and so caught up in what's right here the troubles that are right here in front of me today this you know this moment and to you know lose sight of the bigger picture right so to speak and even other people's perspectives and places in that bigger picture. We get so focused on our own problems that we forget that other people are people too. Yes. Yeah. I'm
1: trying to think of a couple of, uh, off the top of my head, uh, I might have to look at a note here. Can you remember some of the other wonderful, uh, uh, take time for reflection, and that we've talked about already, because as, a, as younger people, my sense, I certainly did not take too much time for that. But mm-hmm. as one gets older and you start thinking about where am I now? Am I doing? Are the are my actions accomplishing what I really like to have done? If they're not, gee, should somebody change that? Yeah, me. Um, and that's something I learned along the ways too. That I, that I mentioned before is is you're responsible for your own actions, yourself. Um, you know, people can treat you meanly. People can set an atmosphere of, of toxic whatever. But how you respond to that is totally up to you. Yeah, and that is a lesson I didn't learn as a lieutenant colonel. I don't think.
0: Yeah, and it was kind of a painful story. Yeah. You, you, uh, you, would you mind sharing yeah. a little bit about that?
1: I, I kind of had a, a not my commander, not my boss, but a, a person in the JAG functional chain who was. Uh, not the nicest person around and in fact liked to toy with me because he thought I wasn't uh, gung-ho enough or military justice wise or something but I knew a lot of everything just not the things that he wanted me to concentrate on and he had his own office to run and I had my own and he tried to interfere with mine an awful lot and so that got to get troublesome and then he would be calling the jags at headquarters no. would then call my commander say you want to fire parag and you go no but paul's doing great and that happened like every month this guy would call for my firing and after a while I started taking a, it you know i was starting to feel bad won't i'd go home my wife and three daughters i would not be the nicest person around and and i'd Discovered that I was short with people. I wouldn't help them as much as I should. And they were teenage sort of daughters at that time, which is always a a challenge Mm. for any teenager. And it finally dawned on me that, wait a minute, he can make my life miserable there, he he can whatever, but I'm the one taking it out on my family. It's my actions. So I learned, don't do that. And I became a, a better person at home, I think a better person overall, and learned the lesson where, hey you know sticks and stones can break my bones but whatever you're doing can't really hurt me because you know i can stand tall
0: yeah yeah i mean it's a really important lesson i, I know that you know there have been plenty of times where i've taken my frustrations out wrongfully in other areas right and and um, i think that it's it's really easy to do um, and it, you know it brings me back to one of Swins's main strategies one of this Most important ideals that he teaches is the ideal of preservation. We might be losing over here. We might be struggling in this area, but we don't have to let it spill over here. We can keep this area intact. And I think in our own lives, it's like, well, I might really be struggling financially, but I don't have to let the financial stress impact my marriage, impact my relationships with kids, or another impact my health, even, right? And, um, yeah, it was really important. So when you when you shared that with me, that that really resonated, um, and and it's something that I've been thinking about a lot. Uh, he, you know, he uses this idea of compartmentalization, and Chinese uh, invented um, com- individually sealed compartments in their boats. They got the idea from bamboo because each segment is sealed individually, watertight. And we you know realize the reason we have you know sealable compartments in naval vessels mm-hmm. is because if you take damage, you take water on there. You can seal it off, and you can continue the mission until you can get back and, and make repairs as needed. It doesn't have to flood the whole ship, and you know sometimes I think compartmentalization gets a bad rap mm-hmm. uh, because you know if you do it forever and you don't ever open that can of worms back up, then it's that's not good, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, we don't need to have that spillage from work into the family. We can we can say, okay, work is work. I'm leaving that behind. School is school. I'm leaving that behind, and I can just enjoy the kids or I can enjoy you know my partner my spouse um, and I can enjoy other areas of my life it doesn't one thing doesn't have to ruin everything Mm -hmm. and um, so I I like the we can avoid that he was big on um, minimizing collateral damage
1: okay one of the other things I mentioned to the nav class sorry I just thought of that was Mm -hmm. be a lifelong student yes and that's keeping your mind open to new horizons, to new activities, to new anything. Um, it, it, one of the things at the Air Force Academy, I, I jumped out of a perfectly good airplane five times. <laughs> I, I can't believe I did that, but I did. I mean, and, and uh, by the time it was done, very interesting, when I was flying in B B-52s, in a B-52, the radar navigator, the bombardier and the navigator, when you eject, you go downward. Mm. So you don't do that on the ground. <laughs> Because you just bounce ball. <laughs> um, you have to have a certain altitude. At one point, we were flying, and I asked my very seasoned bombardier. Uh, I said, "If we had to punch, would you would you get out of the aircraft?" And he said, "No." Really? And I was. I said, "Really? It's not. I, it's not hard. I've done it before. I mean, not in an ejection seat, but and and there were other people who were like that. And it's like, oh." Yeah, I mean. They go down did, with the plane. Yeah, and I, I couldn't, I mean, I don't think anyone would ever tell, tell you that type thing. You know, we've got faith in our, uh, and I don't think it was a faith thing. I think it was, I don't want to go flying out in space, you know, type thing. And so that's one of the reasons why I jumped out of an airplane, which, you know, I went, I'd never skied before. I skied out here in Colorado. What a great place to, to learn how to do that. Yeah. Um, I played lacrosse in intramurals. I'd never played lacrosse before. <laughs> uh, it just uh, so so many, and if you're a student, you're going to try and learn new things. So that's quite frankly, pottery. I'd never done any. I took some classes at the uh, at the community center and learned how to throw pottery, and and I enjoyed it, and it was uh, it was uh, um, an eye-opening experience. So if you don't try anything, if you don't swing the bat, you're never going to get a hit. And yeah. sometimes you fail. Sometimes you uh, um, pitch a bad bomb, as it were. But uh, um, any event that uh, I think it's worth the, uh, the swing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So growth mindset, that's that's growth mindset right there. You, you've, you know, constantly giving yourself opportunities to shake things up, to try something mm-hmm. different, to learn and grow in areas, especially when you identify a fear or maybe a limit limitation or belief. Like, I don't want to jump out of this airplane. So that means I need to jump out of this airplane.
1: Well, and, uh, I thought about this earlier. Uh, When I was a senior at the Air Force Academy, I took two independent study classes in my biological science major. Second one had to do with getting rid of uh, herbicide orange, but uh, leave leave that. The other one, I was growing up deathly afraid of bees and probably most other little, I mean, maybe not mosquitoes, but well, guess what? My independent study was insects of the Air Force Academy. So I went out every Monday uh, on the right days and caught insects and then during the week I would classify, I would find out what kind they were and stuff. But I was walking amongst huge areas of bees everywhere. And at first it was, and then it was, gosh, eventually I could lay down and contemplate uh, being a senior at the Air Force Academy while the bees were just buzzing all around me. Mm. It was, and so it's like, if you're afraid of something, exactly what you said, go ahead and, and try it. I mean, it doesn't always work like that, but this
0: one did. Huh. It's not that the bees changed or the insects around, but your thinking about them, your beliefs about them changed, which then changed your
1: experience. Yes. I mean, a bee gets close to, I mean, right now, our grandchildren. Uh, when we when we see them, and if they see a bee, they run away because their mom got stung by one, you know. Mm-hmm. And I try, no, 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 you know, let, or let a ladybug land on, and which they'll do, you know. So uh, trying to uh, to get there, it's not, it's it's being afraid and then trying to squat at them. Right. Bees don't like you squatting at them. <laughs> um, moving like this, that's okay, but not squatting. So I mean, so you do change your behavior a little bit, but it's all your anxiousness about about other creatures. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so last question.
0: Yes, sir. This is the big one. And I, I, I gave you this one a while ago, but one of the questions I like to ask people is if you had two minutes to tell the world something that could make a difference in their lives, what would it be? What would you tell them? What do you wish you would have known when you were younger? Or, and,
1: and, you know, just impart that wisdom to us. I'd written something down, so I just wanted to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, actually, first, we've talked about some of these. One is to be a lifelong student. Don't be afraid of learning new stuff tomorrow or the next day. I like to say that I learn something new every day. I mean, it's a uh, kind of a, a tripe phrase, but I think it's true. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, already today, I've learned about Professor Boyd and how. Uh, how good of a conversationalist he is and how he can take uh, things that he has read about and tie them into modern uh, times. And so I'm going to try and do that a little bit better the next time I have the opportunity. Um, Hmm. I can't read my writing here. Um, Oh, and the last one is we've talked about Don't forget that you are responsible for your actions. And I guess that would be that um, it's you who can um, decide, okay, I don't like where I am in life. Am I gonna do anything about it? If the is no, then that's what you've decided. Then don't blame the poor economy or whatever about that. You've decided not to, but if you decide to do something Make sure you focus what you're doing on achieving the goal that you want for yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you're not, and if those things aren't helping you achieve that goal, do you need to switch the goal because you know it was your shot too? You know your goal was way too high, or do you need to change what you're doing in order to make it happen? Um, I think those things are easier to do because I can understand them more and have more examples of them as an older person. But Boy, if I could have done that and thought about it like I do now as a young person, you know, uh, I wish I would have.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we talk about uh, early on in the the podcast in episode one, I believe, the very first episode, we talk about this idea that life is kind of like a river and we don't always get to choose what comes into our lives. But we do always get to choose how we respond we get to choose on our little raft how we're gonna navigate those rapids that come our way.
1: And we get to choose whether or not we'll be prepared. Yes. I mean, if if you're in the military, have you talked to your spouse or your kids about, hey, I'm about to be deployed. It's possible dad might not come back. Yeah. You gotta be ready for that. Or have you talked to your brothers and sisters about, you know, about life or about being sick, which, you know, we all have had, I'm getting ready to go to a funeral this weekend of a, of a classmate whose wife just died totally suddenly. Mm-hmm. And and those sorts of, so that raft of life, it can throw all sorts of things at you. And uh, being prepared and uh, being ready for it, I think is important.
0: Yeah, if you're prepared, you shall not fear. Amen. Yeah. Thank well, you, Thank Dave. you, sir, I appreciate it. You and thank welcome. you so much, everybody, for listening. Um, Please let me know what you thought. And um, just just an absolute privilege to have a great leader here with us today.
1: Good talker here. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Thanks, everybody. Take care. Sorry. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. If you found this podcast impactful, please like and subscribe. And join us for new episodes every Warrior Wednesday. For more information, tools, and resources to help you in your daily battles. For questions or to work with me. Shoot me an email at artofwarforlife at gmail.com. Most important, always remember the power to win resides within. There is always a way.